things that they do there. Uh, You're welcome to walk back and see where they're headed and be a part of that. Um, Or you can come back in here with us and pick them up after. But we're glad to have you here with us today. Let me just say thank you to a few people before we get started. Uh, For one, everybody who helped with Widow's Harvest yesterday, let me thank you. We had a good day. We got paint all over the place on a house and on us. And uh, we had a good time there, and it, was, uh, we, it really helped a lady in need. So um, we're thrilled that we had the chance to do that. I want to thank Kim um, for organizing that and getting us plugged in. As I mentioned last week, we tend to work with them in the spring and fall when they don't have a lot of people offering to volunteer. They are pretty packed in the summer, so we don't do a lot with them in the summer. And uh, that's just one way we try to be smart about our investment there. And um, we do have another one coming up. It'll be March 24th, so I do hope you'll come to that. I don't want to re-push all that, but we had a lot of fun, and, and if you want to see some pictures, you can go on Instagram or Facebook, and you can see some pictures there. Also, let me thank uh, Jeremy and Wayne for taking care of our, you know, we were, I'm about to come up and hypnotize you and uh, with those flashing lights, and that's stressful when you're operating and something happens and you're not sure what happened, um, but thanks for fixing that and for, for taking care of that for us. I've uh, got one, one other big announcement to make. Uh, we've got a couple here that's having their 50th wedding anniversary. Is it today or was it yesterday? Today. today. All right, Jack and Cindy, you stand up. 50 years together. And still going strong. Happy anniversary to you guys. We're so excited and thank you for your testimony in your marriage. And uh, we love you guys. So. 50 years, uh, it's, a big, it's a big one. We're, we're not even halfway there yet. So uh, we've got a lot to learn, but uh, we're, we're awful excited for you. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a difficult week for the kingdom. Uh, not really. The kingdom is strong, uh, but we've lost some powerful voices in the world as it re- relates to the gospel. Billy Graham passed away this week and uh, has certainly been... Th- probably the most powerful American evangelical voice for, gosh, the last 70 years. Uh, And he is going to be missed, but I just can't imagine what his homecoming was like. And it just gives us hope and a glimpse of what we hope our homecoming will be like as well. When someone who was a giant in the faith passes away, it's, it's not a time for mourning as if that influence is gone. It's a time for the rest of us to say, it, it is for us to step up and to continue sharing the gospel with those in need. So that was a big loss. Uh, yesterday, uh, a very influential pastor in my life passed away. His name was Doug Sager. He was a pastor of First Baptist Concord where I grew up. And a lot of his teaching and his influence is why I ended up going into ministry. Uh, he passed away from a stroke yesterday. And one of the things that some of my other friends that we grew up together that also were a part of that church, he, there was one thing that he drilled into us over and over and over again. And uh, that first slide put that up. This is what he, he would constantly say to us. Faith is confident obedience in God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. And he just had a way of, of taking these truths and making them so easy to understand and applicable, which is just a great one. So uh, as we continue on today, it does fit. when the, the passing of those that have come before us, gosh, I haven't had anything to drink this morning, but I can't walk straight. Um, <laughs> the passing of those who have gone before us does fit into what we're talking about because in Christ... 
there is always a next. Always a next. There's never a, this is it. We've arrived. We've experienced it. It's over. Now you can sit back and relax. There is always a next. And even when those people who have been highly influential pass on to be with Christ forever, uh, there's always a next for all of us. And so as we continue to do that, I hope that you will continue to follow with us. And we're in our seventh week in next. Next week, we're going to begin sharing uh, some of what is going to be different in the coming 10 years, because on March 25th, I believe, is a Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our 10-year anniversary here with a big hoopla, and uh, we're going to have a shortened worship service. Um, Then we're going to have a ministry fair together where all our ministries are going to be set up, and you can go see everything that goes on and ways you can plug in. We're also going to eat together and uh, have some fun together. So it's going to be a big day, and our hope for the 10-year anniversary is not to just look back and go, oh, that was a great 10 years, but what we want to do is look ahead and say, where's God taking us for the next 10? Because in the last 10 years of our life as a church, the world has changed. <laughs> you know, there are, the gospel is the same, but the way that we interact with the world that does not know Christ continues to change as that culture changes, and so we need to be open and available to move forward and some of the ways that we're changing is we're not trying to adopt something new but we're trying to adopt something old and that old is the teaching on the church that it takes an entire community to make the church what it is and that's why we've been asking you to share what is your next what is god saying to you because what we really want to incorporate in this next 10 years is what is god saying to you that we as a community can do together every person in this room has an equal place in the kingdom and god wants to speak to you and has a next for you and so we want to hear those and uh you can go online and you can submit your next or you can come talk to me i would like to hear it uh we've got a a, someone i want to come up and share a little bit about what her next is tracy are you sure she is tracy's going to come up and share a little bit with us and um Many of you know Tracy Pearson. She's, um, she's been a part of Journey for quite a while and is kind of here and there. She, she also is all over the country um, with her primary responsibility, which is crew. And so we, we got to talk a little bit a few weeks ago about where, where God was leading her. And I just asked her if she would be willing to share that with us. So uh, she's going to do that. Thank you. Um, it's on. Okay. Yeah, I it's, wasn't sure. I mean, I'm loud, but yeah, no, no. Hey, we're recording this, and we're going to put it out everywhere, so don't... That's fine. People do things against, like, that kind of stuff to me all the time, so just don't let the light flash around me. I might get distracted. Well, um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. a little ADD today. Shiny, shiny object, yeah, all right. Uh, gosh, wow. So why don't you, can you give us, can you give us, like, maybe a 30-second overview <laughs> of what you do on a normal, everyday basis? Yeah, so I um, work with the Middle and High School Ministry of Crew, um, which is Campus Crusade for Christ, if you don't know. Um, and uh, what I do is I work with middle school students at Red Bank and Loftus Middle School, um, which that cringy feeling you get when I say that, like, we all get that. So um, it's really a, uh, one of the things that I do on a daily basis is really connect with students because they're the most harassed and helpless generation that we've seen, and they just need shepherds. And so I go in to schools um, under the school's permission and really just minister to students and teach them how, um, not only about Jesus, but how to, to share their faith and about what their next is, really. So Okay, um, all right. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's great. So specifically, you've got a lot that you 
you invest in others and you're working in their lives. But over the last few weeks or months, you have felt God has been moving you in a direction. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, the, uh, the prayer group you were involved with and kind of what you began to experience through yeah. that. So um, you know, I moved here nine years ago and um, I've been learning the city uh, for that long. And uh, there's been things that have been really exciting and things that have also broken my heart, um, just as I see is probably as true in any community. Um, but I don't know if you guys have been to the Meeting House Coffee House on uh, Dayton Boulevard, but it's amazing. Um, and I spend a lot of time there. Um, and so there was a group. Uh, it's actually a, a church, though. It's at the Red Bank Chapel. It's an Anglican church, part of the mission, the camp house, all that's connected. But anyway, there was this group of people praying. And I don't normally do this, but I actually walked up and I said, I was just really curious. I was like, what are you guys up to? Because I figured it was a prayer group. And um, they're like, we're just praying for our city. And I said, can I be a part of this? <laughs> Which felt so bizarre. But they were like, sure, of course, you know. And um, every Thursday morning, we get together and pray. Um, and the Father Al, the priest there, um, who is just this wonderful, incredible man, um, at one point, he just kind of asked me, he was like, can I tell you something? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> He's going to see this glaring spiritual problem in my life and, and tell me right now. And he was like, I think God's given you the gift of intercessory prayer. And I was like, what? Nobody's ever told me that. Um, and it really kind of, uh, it made me think and it made me kind of go on this journey of like, if that's true, Lord, I've really not been leaning into that. So <clears throat> I started just really trying to intercede for people here and, and for students. And I've, I always hated it when people would tell those stories about, like, God woke me up in the middle of the night to pray. But that started happening, and it's horrible because you just want to go back to sleep. But then the Lord's like, no, th I woke you up on purpose. And, I, and I've just been using that time. And what's crazy is it's, like, I've seen these crazy things happen, like, in other people's lives. And... I just, I'm just leaning into that more and discovering, like, yeah, maybe this is really, this is really what God's telling me to do. So, um, when we were doing that series, um, I know, I guess we had started the next series, but at some point, Mark said, you know, it was just the way he phrased it, it was like, um, you know, what, what might God be leading you, or what is God saying to you? What is God speaking to you? Um, maybe you should ask God, and I didn't even need to ask him because I knew, it's like, you've been telling me to, to pray, and I've been walking around with my hands on my hips and my mind going, man, we just really need a prayer meeting. We just really need people to pray in this church, and there needs to be somebody, <laughs> this always happens to me, there needs to be somebody that will lead a prayer movement in this church, and God's like, you're right. <laughs> um, so when, when Mark said that, I was like, huh, I guess I should tell him that that's what God's been saying to me, so um, we had this really great conversation about it, and, um, and yeah, so that's just kind of what my next is, and I'm still learning what that means, because um, I don't know if you guys ever read that old book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, but it's all about how the um, Brooklyn Tabernacle started with, uh, which is a huge church now, started with just a prayer meeting, and I read that in college, I think, and I recently re read one of his other books, Fresh Faith, and it just reminded me of how prayer is the cornerstone of, you know, what what the Christian faith is about. Like, we've been given God's word, and we're supposed to talk to him and, and, and really 
for God to line up our hearts with what he's doing. And that happens in prayer. Um, and, and yeah, so I've just been thinking a lot about like, what does that mean for, for me? What does that mean for us? Um, I'm still learning uh, about that. You know, I've talked, uh, me and Miss Jean talked about um, just about intercessory prayer. She's just like super passionate about it. And so we had some really good ideas and, and things like that. But Okay, yeah. so, so that's kind of what God's been saying to right. you. And what does that practically look like, do you, do you think it looks like, as your next? And think, our next. Yeah, I, I think my, um, where I'm always leaning is, uh, I want to stay really focused on this community because, um, you know, when we moved here, God was telling me a lot about how, how important that was. You know, he was also telling me some things about my ministry because I opened Red Bank Middle School the same time we moved, and it was like independent decisions, and I just felt like God was saying, you know, Red Bank is really important. So um, I really would like to see my vision, my, my dream is to see um, some dedicated people who would be in, in Red Bank to pray, to either meet here or somewhere in Red Bank to pray for the people of this community, um, to learn to pray, um, because I definitely am not one of those you know, people say the word prayer warrior, and I'm like, I don't even, those are like a special set of people, um, but they're also just people, um, and it's work. I mean, prayer is hard work. That's why people don't do it. You know, that's why I don't do it, because it's hard. I mean, it's laboring at times, and so I would like, I'd love to see some people who would be willing to just pray, not come to a fancy thing um, necessarily, but just have a heart to pray and um, I have struggled to just know who those people, God hasn't said like, it's this person and this person and this person, um, but even just like a trio of people to just pray for this church, to pray for our staff, to pray for um, our youth, to pray for our band, um, and just all the things, I mean, you can see how the enemy just wants to, just to rip things apart, um, and I think he just works through technical difficulties more than anything, in my personal opinion. Um, that that's a sign of the enemy just messing around with stuff. And it's, um, yeah, just something we need to pray over and pray for. So does that kind of answer that? I think that it might does. That it does. I'm, part, I'm like a verbal process. So <laughs> one of the things that we had talked about was we're not, we don't necessarily want to have just a mass number of people. Right. But if you also feel passionate about being uh, involved in an active time of prayer, Right. They can come and get in touch with you. Yeah, that would be great. I, I would love, um, I'd love to talk to anybody who is like, I think God's saying right now to me, like, I need to pray. And it doesn't necessarily mean, I don't know. I've, I work with middle schoolers, so like, I, I don't have a have this like lofty idea of what prayer is um, because it's so it's supposed to be so human. So um, just to get that out of the way, but I just really want to invite anybody that's like, I really want to pray together. Um, you know, I'd like to do that on a regular basis just to talk to me because I'm still learning what that actually could look like, whether that's, you know, meeting on Wednesday nights here or something like that. Um, I'm also one of those like 7 a.m. type of prayer people, um, because I have to be, <laughs> not because I want to be, I'm regardlessly thin. But anyway, all that to say, like, yeah, just, I, I would love to talk to anybody who's interested in that and, um, or you can let Mark know or. Uh, we can figure it out. I'm, I'm trying to be patient in the process because I'm still learning what God is saying in that um, and not to just be like, let's have this great big program. Of, and it's, and it, that's not about prayer. <laughs> that's about us. So, um, right. yeah, just to, it's realizing that it's work 
Um, and those of you that have seen prayer work in your lives, you know it's worked, and you know that that work has power, um, and you've seen it. So, Yes, very good. All right, thank you, Tracy. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, y'all say thank you to Tracy. I'm, I'm excited about this and the power that prayer brings into a community. It allows the supernatural to be at work in ways that we sometimes just plan for what we can do, but God has other plans. And so if you're interested in that, you can talk to her, you can talk to me. Um, if you have prayer requests, we do have, if you've not been to our website in a while, we do have a new site. It's been up for probably, I don't know, a couple of months now, but uh, there is on the homepage a, a section where you can just submit a prayer request. So if you have a prayer request, you could put that in there. And I'm having lots of conversations with you guys right now that I'm very excited about. Uh, many of you are talking about ways we can get in more involved in the community. We can do more things with others. Uh, we've had some conversations about missions and how we can be more intentional missions-wise. Um, I want to continue to hear that from you, and if you, if you feel God is pulling you in a direction, we want to hear about it, because as a community, that means he may be pulling all of us together with you. Now, it doesn't mean we can do absolutely every, everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something, and it may just be that what God is telling you is meant to involve not just you, but others as well. So we're going to be talking about more of that in the future. Do be praying for Miss Jean. She's not here with us today. She called me last night, and her 27-year-old niece passed away this weekend from a heart attack. And so they are receiving friends this morning and going to have the service tomorrow. She just wanted to let everybody know and sort of we would be praying for her. Apparently she had some just health complications and, um, and she passed away leaving a one-year-old child. So um, be in prayer for them and I'm sure we'll see her next week and maybe give her a hug. It's, it's tough. That's, that's a tough one um, to deal with. And uh, so we will miss her and, and hope that uh, we get to talk to her soon. All right. So if I've got two sermons today. Actually, I have three. I have three sermons today. I'm not sure which one you're about to get yet. Um, I've got a lot I want to share with you. And honestly, this in and of itself could be about a six-week deal. And I'm going to try to give you the highlights. And we are going to, have to, we are going to come back to this. Uh, but we've been talking about your dream. And we can each have individual dreams, but the greatest dreams in the world are the dreams that are given to us by God, a dream to be involved in something, a dream to work with Him, and that expands the kingdom. If this is your first time with us, just to give you a little bit of an overview of where we've been, these are kind of the main things we've talked about so far. Number one, God meets you right where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. And that's something that we as a church who values authenticity and values loving people no matter what they look like, where they come from, or what their life is like, we value that. And one of the things we have to be careful about is not simply saying, you know what, come as you are. We'll put no expectations on you whatsoever because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, meet us where we are, but he wants to take us somewhere else. He loves us too much to leave us there. We also saw that when, God lead, when we let him lead us, that God will lead you into uncertain and unknown places where you must rely on him. This is one of the uncomfortable realities about following Christ. If we can do it on our own and we don't need him, we're not actually following his lead. But when we must rely on him, it's uncomfortable. I want to be totally competent by myself, but that's not what it looks like when we follow God. That led us to talk about the fact that God will give you his dream that he wants to work through your life. And that's where we've been spending a lot of time because I, dreaming is one of my favorite things to do. I love to just sit back and daydream. And I, so many times, 
God has just spoken to me in the midst of just opening up and saying, God, what could be? <laughs> and then he speaks in those moments, and they are, they are some of my favorite moments. Journey as a result of some of those moments, some of the ministries we've done is a result of some of those moments. Much of what I, I share on Sundays is a result of many of those moments. And so I know he has those moments for you as well. He will give you his dream to work through your life. But then we had to kind of watch how we talk about dreaming and the fact that God's dream will always include others. Always. God's dream always will include others. Our dreams, our personal dreams, usually just include ourselves, maybe our immediate family. But God's dream always includes others. And then last week, we had a real sobering look at the reality that you will either spend your life, you will waste your life, or you will invest your life. And I'm not going to go back through all that. You can go listen to that on our site if you missed it last week or want to listen to it again. But this is where it leads us to what I want to share with you today. And that is this reality, that many of our dreams fail because we are the sole beneficiaries of the dream. And if it's, if it's realized... But God will not bless selfish dreams. Now, this is something that is hard to accept. And this is something that the church is fractured on. Because many times the church will talk about dreams and the fact that God wants to bless you. And the reality is, what God often tells us is, I bless you as you are a blessing to others. And so we, we get wrapped up in this idea that my dream is about me and what I want for my life. I have many of those dreams. I still dream about being a fighter pilot because I saw Top Gun when it came out. I'm getting a little old for that dream. A little old. It's still there. Someone, no one has yet pulled up and said, hey, listen, we've got a fighter plane out here with your name on it. No one has done that yet. And if they've seen me pilot a remote control one, that's probably why they're not putting a real one in front of my house. But... It's not that we don't have personal dreams, but the kind that God blesses are not the ones where we are the sole beneficiaries, where we're the only ones that benefit. God, help me win this lottery. I promise I'll give you 10% if you'll give me this $10 million or $100 million or $500 million lottery. I'll give you my 10%. God blesses those dreams that are beyond that. And what I want to share with you today is that a great dream, a great, a truly great dream must fulfill two things the Great Commission, and the Great Commandments. Those are two requirements for the greatest dreams that God gives. And I want to unpack that to what that looks like. When we look at the Great Commission and the Great Commandments, we read in Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16, about the Great Commission. These are some of the parting words that Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection and before he ascended into heaven. He, immediately after this, he ascended into heaven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And now when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, if we unpack the Great Commission, if you've been in church at all, at any point of your life, you've heard the Great Commission, and for us, the Great Commission is a very, a very important driving force about what we do here. There are uh, lots of ways to do church, 
But what we were really passionate about was reaching those that did not know Christ. And so we sometimes are good at reaching those far from Christ. Sometimes we are not so good. Sometimes we really hit a home run. And sometimes we're nowhere even in the ballpark. So, uh, but that is one of the things we endeavor to be, which is why we meet in a different type of environment, why we sometimes dress a little different, why we talk a little different, and why our messages may even sound a little different from time. We are very true to the orthodox teaching of Christianity But we are always talking about it in the sense of the way Christ did and that there is a message that must go out into the world and we are a part of that. Now, if we unpack this into these major things in which Jesus is teaching his disciples, the first thing we say, we see him saying is, number one, we have to go. Now, if we are going to truly unpack the original translation of this, it, it the, the form of the word go doesn't, is not actually a com, an active command to go. It is instead as you are going. Not that we all have to sell our you know, businesses or give up our jobs, sell our homes, and then we have to move and go to some other part of the world in which to go and tell about Jesus. In fact, what Jesus is saying is as you are traveling and as you are living your lives and as you are moving about, You need to go out and seek out those people that don't yet know me so that they can. Because that was what Jesus wanted for every person on the planet, was to know him. We read in Luke 15, he describes this as a parable. This is Jesus describing going in a parable, the parable of the lost sheep. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, that is one of our hopes. That is one of the desires that we have as a church. Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them, which has been said about us at times as well. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The rejoicing that Christ has over finding the lost sheep is exactly the desire he has in giving us our dream that our joy comes in reaching those that Christ loves and wants to find. So part of this this command of the Great Commission, part of the dream is going to involve, as we are going, being intentional about what our goals are. Not just going about living life. That's part of our, you can either spend your life or waste your life or invest your life. As we are going, we have to be intentional on purpose about what God is doing and his dream will involve other people. Luke 4.18 says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is one of my favorite passages about Jesus and how we as a people are to look at those outside of our own personal experience and especially those who are suffering. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, and at this point He is quoting a prophecy about the coming Messiah in which He's saying, that's me. That's me. And so for him, many of those that he sought after were not the people that could do life on their own by themselves, but instead he went after the people that were hurting the most and that were oppressed. 
And so if we're going to embrace this idea and you do not have a relationship with anyone in your life that is hurting or oppressed, you may not yet be fulfilling the Great Commission in your life. And it's not that we are the saviors of the oppressed. Jesus is the saviors of the oppressed. We are the message bearers. And sometimes those who are in oppression just need someone to stick up, with, stick up for them and to care for them and to show them what this looks like. Going to those who typically people walk away from is part of the dream God will give you. Another thing we see here is that when we go, we aren't simply to go. And this is one of the things that when I grew up, this was one of the misunderstandings of the church. We just wanted to get people dunked in baptism and on the rolls to be able to say they are now going to go to heaven one day. And that is what many people view as a successful church ministry. Jesus did not view that as a successful church ministry. Because over the years in which I've done ministry, I have baptized many people who are no longer in any active way following Christ. So he's not just saying go and get people on the rolls. What he's saying is go and make disciples. And when we look at that command to make disciples, in that lies, I will be honest, my biggest struggle as a pastor. Much of my daydreaming has to do with the fact of, God, how do we make disciples in a culture where being your disciple is so despised? It's hard. Because what we first have to say is, to be a disciple of anyone else, we have to stop being consumed with our own desires, and we instead have to be consumed with the desires of someone else. That is not a popular message. So making disciples is what he is calling us to do. Your dream will in some way involve making disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that your dream is always going to be, you're going to be a small group leader or a preacher or a missionary. I shared a few weeks ago, one of the jobs that I have around here, because I happen to have the keys to the dispenser, which I'm happy to pass on to all the toilet roll dispensers. If you came in today and there's not enough toilet paper in there, you've got one person to blame, and that's me. All right? If you had toilet paper today, job well done, pat me on the back, and, you know, I did my job this week, all right? That's not the only thing I do, but that's one of my roles. I never set out to change toilet paper with the belief that, God, I'm, we're going to change some lives right now. Let's go put some new toilet paper in those dispensers. And so every task has the ability to have an eternal consequence. Every task has the ability to have an eternal consequence because, like I said, before, no one has ever come to Christ because of the toilet paper, right? No one's ever said, you know what, I was lost, but I was found when I saw that toilet paper. It was some good toilet paper. That's never happened. But I guarantee that if you're sitting in a stall and there is no toilet paper, toilet paper there, you're not thinking about how much you love Jesus at that moment. You may be using the word Jesus, but you're not saying it in a loving way, right? Every task has the ability to have an eternal significance so your dream is going to involve in some way making disciples that doesn't mean you have to be teaching if you're not a teacher in fact some people are gifted in that and if you had the gift of teaching and you're not teaching you are not fulfilling the work of the holy spirit within your life but if you don't have the gift of teaching then it's important that you find what god is saying to you and whatever you do will have some impact on others Matthew, uh, Luke six forty three. 
another parable from Jesus. It says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What he's saying is, you will see results out of the effort to make disciples. He wants to see results in the lives of those who call him their savior. And not the kind of results that you can put on at church, but the kind of results that you live out every minute of every day of your life. Making disciples has eternal results in people. As churches, one of the things that we've looked at and we've talked a little bit about here, and we want to be careful because the last thing we want to do is put ourselves in a position of judge or put ourselves in a position of doing everything right because we certainly don't do everything right here. But we do have to own the fact that we have in American cultural religion, we have misunderstood what it means to make disciples and instead we have, what we have focused on is growing a church. When we are focused on growing a church, then what we inevitably end up doing, because it is way easier to grow a church than it is to make disciples. I will tell you that. All you have to do to grow a church is give a large number of people exactly what they want. That's how we're wired. And sometimes we do that by our messages. And some of our messages, especially, you know, we we have talked fairly freely freely and openly about the prosperity gospel, that the prosperity gospel grows enormous churches and enormous wealth in the pastors that proclaim it because it tells people you will get exactly what you want. And it is a false gospel because what we want without Christ has nothing to do with Christ. Anytime we want something in line with Christ, we only want it because Christ is active in our lives. And so in the church, we have to own the fact that many of us, we judge churches and the effectiveness of churches based on how big they are, how big their programs are, how fancy their stuff is. And the truth is, there have been times in my ministry, that's exactly what I wanted. And I would be lying to you if I said otherwise. God, we need a big church with all the perfect stuff and everything happening and lots of people. And gosh, that would feel great. But that does not mean that a large church is making disciples Nor does being a large church mean that you aren't making the disciples. So we are not judged. I'm not saying that all big churches are bad and only good churches are small because that just fits our model. What I'm saying is we have to change the way we see an effective church. The gospel starts off with the belief or the principle that you and I, in and of ourselves, are dead in our sin. And the only way we can know Christ and walk with him is if we die to ourselves and we receive Christ as our savior. That in and of itself is offensive to many people in the world. As we go down this the road, we can see signs telling you that it's all about you. You can see uh, the organization that you like to frequent probably put an emphasis on you, make you feel good when you walk in. And when we talk about the gospel, the gospel says you've got to die. <laughs> To get this. And that's a hard message to receive. In fact, it's an impossible message to receive. Scripture tells us that you will not, in and of yourself, want to receive that message. 
And the only way that you ever will is if the Holy Spirit is active in you. This is how incredible, incredibly amazing God's love is for us in that he has given us a message that we will never choose for ourselves and yet he has empowered us through his love to be able to receive it so we can be saved. That is his incredible, amazing, overwhelming love. So making disciples has to be our goal. It doesn't mean that we're always good at making disciples. I'm just saying we have to look at the right kinds of things. When you create an environment that's all about a person, they will never truly understand a gospel message that is all about God. So we have to keep the right things the right things. When we read about this in Revelation chapter 3, it says, To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. That feels good. Because my fondest memories of a child was when I got disciplined, right? <laughs> Those are my favorite moments. My mom and dad do still talk about some of them because I think they did enjoy them a little too much at times. But, but I don't look back on them with fond memories. But this is what God is saying to us. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. What an invitation he has given us. When you create an environment that is true to the nature of repentance that is necessary to receive the gospel, people have a tendency to walk away. But those that stay have a tendency to see Christ in all his glory. It's a tough thing, making disciples. And if you wanted to meet with me and you would like for me to explain to you all the right ways to do it, I would probably need to pass you on to someone else to let them do that. But I can sure tell you a lot of ways that it won't work as God continues to show us what will. The next thing we see in the Great Commission is the command to baptize. Now, baptism is something that we do here and Baptism is not some kind of mystical pool of water that we fill with holy water and then when you go into it, somehow you are in, you know, infused with the Holy Spirit kind of like your infused you know, fruit waters or whatever you make. That is not the way baptism works. Baptism is less of God doing something in us as much as us showing everybody else what God has already done in us. It's a symbol. It's it's a walk of obedience. And one of the things that God consistently calls us to is to obey Him. And so when we're baptized, we create a foundation of obedience which is necessary in order to follow Him as a disciple. Jesus was baptized and He told them, as you make disciples, move them in to the direction of obedience to my teachings beginning with baptism. So if you're someone here today and you know Christ and you love Christ, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as a child and, and you didn't have any say in that, and, and, but now you know Christ and you want to follow in obedience, I want to talk to you. Even if you've been a Christian you know, for years, for decades, I want to talk to you because this is building the foundation of our faith on obedience to God. He blesses that. Baptism is the foundation of an obedient life. Next thing, teach all that Jesus commanded. We try to do that to the best of our ability. The truth that we had known from the time before we started this church was if you 
rely on me or Scott or David or any of the other teachers here. If you rely on us for all of your teaching, you will be severely underserved. The only way to grow as a disciple is once you become a self-discipler. Now, when I say self-disciple, I don't mean you just do whatever sounds good to yourself. But you begin to develop the tools of knowing and reading Scripture, of absorbing that into your life, of seeking God in prayer, of hearing what God is saying. And once you begin to be that process on your own and you do not need anyone else, that is when you exponentially grow in your faith beyond anything you ever thought was possible. You've got to become a self-discipler. It begins by reading Scripture and seeking God in the midst of that. And the amazing thing that happens as we fulfill this that Jesus promises in the Great Commission is that God will be with you. If you're thinking, I don't feel like God's with me. Are all these pieces a part of your life? Are you a self-discipler? Are you making disciples? Are you going? Are you intent and intentional on the way that you're living your life so that others might know Christ as well? Well, of course you're not perfect at it. None of us are. For me to stand up and say, you know, if you're not doing this every minute of your life, it would be a total hypocrisy on my part because I don't do it every minute of my life. But is it an overwhelming priority within your life to do this? The dream that God's going to give you are going to involve these components because this is what Jesus said his disciples should focus on for the rest of their lives, us included. The Great Commission is a huge statement to us in the ways that we are to live our lives. But that's just one piece. The second piece are the Great Commandments. The Great Commandments are always going to be a part of your life. If we look at Matthew chapter 22, just a few chapters before the Great Commission, we read about Jesus being questioned again by those that did not want to believe him, they wanted to discredit him because they wanted to live their lives the way they were comfortable with. And Jesus did not allow them to remain comfortable. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, which is always a lot of fun to read. I like to read that kind of stuff. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, surprise, surprise, asked him a question to test him. They just have a way with trying to trap people at times. Not all, but some. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is a big question. I mean, if I'm going to hold to one, which one should I hold to? You know, if I can't get around to the others. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, which means, what? There's more? The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40 On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this is huge. This is huge. See, there are times that Jesus says, you know what you ought to do is, and there are times that Jesus says, you better do this. This is one of those. The great commandments are the ones that he says, not only are these the most important, but everything else finds its significance and purpose in these two everything else every other law is rooted in these two your dream 
as God gives it to you, is going to involve others, and it's going to involve your love for God. Our first and most important commandment is to love God with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Now, I could just say, can I see a show of hands of everybody in here who loves God with all of their heart and their soul and their mind? Would you please raise your hand? And if you raise your hand, I'd have to talk to you later and say, you know, come on, be honest. Seriously. All? One of the things that as we read these, they, if you're serious about this kind of stuff, if you read this stuff, you go, God, boy, I am a failure. Because I love some stuff, I think, at times a lot more than you. <laughs> there are times that I don't put you as the top priority. I don't love you with everything. And if that's the test, I, maybe I'm not a Christian. I think we all have had those moments. Or someone has made us so angry, we really want to rip their head off, and then we feel bad about it, but not really as bad as we know we should feel about it. And we think, God, I... Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't love enough. Maybe I'm not really a Christian, even though I, I think I am. And in those moments when I think that Romans 8, 3, and 4 comes to mind, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's saying, what Paul is saying in this letter to the Romans is this. You can't do this on your own. You will never fulfill this by yourself. No one in this room is ever going to truly love God with everything. And in that, we find the reason that we need a Savior. But Jesus gave his life so he could fulfill the requirement for you. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have to love other people. It just means that in all of the ways that we fail, Jesus makes up the difference. But this still is a driving force of what God wants us to do in living our lives. is to love him with all of our hearts. This is an area of worship. What do we worship? You know, in all truth, we all worship something. Whenever we talk about knowing Christ and hearing from Him and and making Him the priority, that means He has to be constantly the thing on our mind, constantly. And when I say that, that will either within you make sense or it will make you think, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't know if I want to think about Him all the time. And I get it. I get it. But is there something else that you don't mind thinking about all the time? your mind naturally wanders to that hobby that dream that thing that you just gosh you could think about it all day and sometimes you would take a day off just to think about that those are the things that that hold the spot of worship in our lives which if it's anything but god is what scripture calls an idol gosh when it's football season i only thing i think about is tennessee football i don't know that anybody says that anymore but you know i or, or Tennessee Titans, or Predators, or, you know, not beat up the Predators fans in the room, but it's not that we can't enjoy those things, 
But there are some things that we don't mind thinking about all the time. That's what holds the object of our worship. God wants to hold that spot. Now, I did not when I became, I had a radical transformation as a Christian. It would be, it would be a lie for me to tell you in that moment, I loved him with all of my heart. I didn't. I didn't even really know that much. I knew what I'd learned in church, but I didn't know him. There's a difference in what you learn about in church and knowing him through experience of walking with him in life. I didn't really know him yet. The fact that I didn't love him as fully as I do now or the fact that I hope in 40 more years I won't love him more than I do right in this moment doesn't change the fact that you can know Christ and have a significant experience with him and grow in that love of him. Ask Deidre about that. I've shared before. Deidre didn't you know, really fall in love with me right away. It took, some, it took a little bit of time and uh, a little bit of growing up on my part. And you know, it took some time. But she grew in her love for me, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> you can grow in your love. It's not that we have to be perfect from day one. It's that we're growing in that love. So first and most important commandment is loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. This is the thing that we all will probably accept, and though we realize it is a challenge. But the next one is the thing where we're going to live our lives and where our dreams are going to often be focused. Our second and most important commandment is to love everyone else more than we love ourselves. Now, you've heard that before. I'm not new in saying this. We've even had our tagline, love God, love people, period. We've said that for years now. But loving people more than we love ourselves, is not a natural occurrence. We don't just do that. And we don't do it because we're supposed to do it. It's something that the Holy Spirit has to change in us. And whenever we begin to love other people, we change. We can feel that change. Now, this commandment still is second to the first. We're not to love people more than we love God, which as parents, that means... We should still love God more than our children or our spouses. God still holds the prime place, and he needs to keep that prime place. But we do need to love others more than we love ourselves. And one thing you don't have to do is learn how to love yourself. You just do that naturally. We just I I, I take care of myself naturally. One of the most disturbing things we're seeing about the shooting in Florida or that those, those charged to protect those that couldn't protect themselves didn't. And that's a real problem that we've got to look at as a society. What is, what is leading to that? How do we get to this place? Not just how do we ban guns. I'm not going to start a, what my opinion on banning guns is in this sermon. But we've got to start looking at what's led to the place where the people that are supposed to protect others don't. We, we take care of ourselves first. We, we, that, it's easy for us to do that, but... Loving others more than ourselves, that, that is different. That is different. When we love God and others more than ourselves, this is what happens. The gospel has penetrated our lives and has severed the root of our sin, which is selfishness. See, loving others is not just a command. It's an indication that once we are doing that, that we are severing the root of sin in our lives. Because all sin is traced back to the same thing, self-love. All sin is. When we read about the war in heaven that preceded Satan being cast down into the earth, he wanted to be what? You remember? Like God. 
And when Satan came down to the garden and he whispered in Eve's ear and Eve whispered in Adam's ear, what was the promise? You will be what? Like God. Self-love is the root of all sin. Not money. Love of self is the root of all evil. And when you begin to love others more than yourself, you are severing the root of sin in your life. It doesn't mean that that's not going to branch off into other places because we don't truly win our battle over sin until we're in heaven. John Piper said this. I wanted to read it. I was going to try to reword it, but I couldn't do it any better. He did such a good job of saying this. He says, Pride is the passion to be happy, contaminated and corrupted by two things. One, the unwillingness to see God as the only fountain of true and lasting joy. And two, the unwillingness to see other people as designed by God to receive our joy in Him. If you take the desire to be happy and strip away from it God as the fountain of your happiness and people as the recipients of your happiness, what you have left is the engine of pride. It's like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. People as the recipients of our happiness, not as the objects that bring us happiness. See, when you embrace this idea it changes the way every relationship you have is including your marriage relationship whenever you look at your spouse as the person that should be the recipient of your happiness not the person who's supposed to make you happy it changes the way you interact with that person whenever you struggle with somebody to give them grace because they're quite honestly a person that you're not sure deserves grace and you understand them as those people that are supposed to receive your happiness that comes from God, rather than those people are actors in a story about me and my happiness. It changes all your relationships. It changes the way you see them. Your dream, as God gives it to you, is going to involve others. And we've got to learn to be big dreamers with big dreams and the greatest dreams are also hung on these two commandments. What does it mean to love other people as we love ourselves? One of the things that I think it means is that we treat the lives of other people like they're our own lives. So in other words, you see somebody walking down the road, clearly doesn't have a place to stay, is probably going to be begging for their next meal, and you think, why are they over here? I think maybe they're I think maybe they're scamming us. I think they're probably driving to Ben's right around the corner and they just dress up and they come out here and get donations. That's one way to see them. Another way to see them is, what if that were me? What would I be doing right now? Once we begin to look at other people and go, you know what, if I were them, I think this is what I would need. Oh, I think I can help meet that need. And then all of a sudden we are doing what Christ has called us to, to care for the oppressed. Now, another thing that's going to happen is you're, you're literally, as you begin to live your life and looking at other people and loving them at least as much as you love yourself, but even more so, we will radically adjust our priorities to include others in those. Now, this is, this is frightening if you're like me and you're more introverted as your personality and you're thinking, I don't want to involve other people. Can I just help other people and not actually have to talk to them? <laughs> no. No. There are those people that are so natural. And some of you in this room, you talk to others, and it's so natural. And I honestly, I look at you with envy, and I'm like, gosh, I wish I could do that. It's just, they're just so natural with other people. 
And I'm like, you know, after every conversation, did I, did I, did I screw that conversation up? Did I mess that up? Did I say the wrong thing? Should I handle that better? You know, that's the way an introvert handles things. But the truth is that God has called us to all carry a different cross in different ways. And sometimes it means I've got to go outside my comfort zone and care for other people because if I were them, I would need somebody to care for me. It's like literally looking at other people and thinking, rather first, what can I do for me? What can I do for them? It means we want God to bless others and not just bless us. It means we want others to be in heaven with us. And we work on that. Whereas we can be super focused on us being right with God, are we focused on others being right with God as well? It means we want others to experience God. We want others to be as happy as we want to be. It means we want to care for others as much as we are cared for. Sometimes it means that we understand others in the way we wish they understood us. It takes time. Have you ever been in a relationship where you just thought, gosh, they so misunderstand me. I just wish they could understand where I'm coming from. Guess what? So do all the people around you. But it is a conscious effort to try to understand other people, is it not? It's a constant effort. It constantly takes work. There are lots of ways that we can love other people. And the last thing I want to do is put a guilt trip on you and you leave out of here going, you know what? You know what I'd really like to do is I'd like to go to lunch over at, uh, you know, wherever. And, but, gosh, Mark says I should care for somebody else. I shouldn't eat today. I should go find somebody else and feed them instead. Well, that may be what God leads you to do, but that's not what this sermon's supposed to lead you to do. See, whenever we take on this kind of stuff and, and, and we look at it as commands rather than what will happen as we grow in our faith, then we start feeling like, oh, I've got to do this better. Oh, I'm so bad at this. That's not the way God sees it. Because Christ has covered all those inadequacies within us in our relationship with Him. But as we grow, we will love others more than ourselves. And if you ever have one of those days where you're just feeling like, I'm a bad Christian, every time you choose someone else over than yourself, I want you to see that God is going, yes, you are getting it. You are chopping the root of sin in your life. Now, as we look at this whole picture, let me wrap up here. You're going to have to go listen to this again because I know I'm talking way too fast. As we look at this overall picture of what I'm sharing with you today, this is what I want you to take with you. All of God's commands are built on these two commandments. Okay, All of them are built on these two commandments. Everything. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not whatever... All of that is built on these two commandments. These are the root, the foundation. These are the things that gives those meaning. These are important. And you need to wrestle with these your entire life of what God is speaking to you. If these are the greatest two commandments, understand this as it relates to the Great Commission. All of God's work in the world is moving us to these two things. Everything God is doing is moving you in these two directions. To love Him and to love others. Everything is moving you in that direction. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Isn't that amazing? This totally changes the way we see 
His commands in Scripture. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You can't tell me that he's going to give you a dream that does not move in these two directions. Now, you may not always know how God's going to use the dream that he gives you. It may not be as clear as if A, then B is going to happen. There are many things in my life I have felt an overwhelming response that God wants me to do something. I have no idea and I do it. And some of those takes years before I see why he wanted me to do that. And some of them I still don't know. So we don't approach this, these dreams, and assess them based on the fact of, well, God, I can't see why, but there are going to be more people in the kingdom because of doing this because I gave that person my parking spot. But as you begin to hear and obey and work in the ways that God moves you, then you will begin to change in the way you respond. Understand that you cannot fulfill the second commandment unless first we are seeking to fulfill the first, giving God priority. Work on that. We're never going to be able to love people the way he wants us to until we do that. I've already shared with you an uncomfortable truth. We are not going to adhere perfectly to these, but we can, you and I, can endeavor to grow and do better. We'll never be perfect. God never intended for us to be perfect. He intended for Christ to make up for all the imperfection in us. But we can work to get better at this. And finally, a great dream will grow the kingdom of God while loving God and others around you. If we were to summon all this up in one thing. A great dream will grow the kingdom of God while loving God and others around you. That's when the Great Commission and the Great Commandments work together. That's what happens. As we close... There's not a clear action point for you on this other than to seek God and to seek to love others. To ask God to make you more aware of the ways that you have put yourself in the center of your life rather than putting Him there or loving, ask, you know, ask God to show me how can I love others at least as much as I love myself. One of the ways you can do that is you can ask yourself, well, what are my hopes for myself? Well, how can I act on making that hope a reality for others? It's a practical way of doing that. You know, I really want really a, a, a nice, clean place to live. Well, is there a way that I, God may have gifted me that I can help other people so you don't have a nice, clean place to live to have a nice, clean place to live? You know, if you look at someone else out there and they have made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, no one's given them a chance. Do you give them a chance? You know, what would you want if you were them? You know, the golden rule is something that we kind of laugh about as kids, but this is very much the way we practically work this out. How do I do to others the way I want others to do to me? I pray as, as God continues to show you your next, that you will, you will, one, you will not doubt that God can do great things in you. And number two, you will not stop until you see God's incredible work in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the grace that you have given us. I thank you that you have called us to be your partners in this world. 
and that you would help us to love you with our whole heart. I know that takes the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to do that on my own, but I pray that you would continue to be at work in my life and in our lives so that we will put you at that place of highest priority. Father, I also pray that you will show us tangible, real, practical ways to love other people more than we love ourselves. I pray that that would help us to see ourselves with more clarity so that we can see where our selfishness is driving us more and we can cut that root of sin out of our life. Father, I pray that you would show us and open our eyes to people that need us to care for them because no one else is caring for them. God, I pray that just as these two great men of God have passed on from this world to the next, that we will be able to one day be in your presence and hear from you, well done, my good and faithful servant so that we can spend all of eternity with you in joy and happiness. I pray that our joy would come from you primarily. You would be our source of happiness and joy. And that we would let that spread from us into those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.